You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Greetings, everyone. Hello, I am Babak Abbasade, CEO of Toronto Centre. Bienvenue à notre séance plénière conjointe avec Nida sur l'adaptation des systèmes agricoles et financiers face au changement climatique. We are delighted to hold this conversation on agricultural and financial systems adaptation to climate change during the International Development Week which is sponsored by Global Affairs Canada in collaboration with Mennonite Economic Development Associates or MEDA, a friend of Toronto Centre. Since our establishment in 1998, Toronto Centre has trained more than 23,000 financial supervisors from 190 countries and territories to build more stable, resilient and inclusive financial systems. Since 2016, we have been incorporating climate risk in our programming because of the substantial implications to global financial stability, risk of crisis from climate change, and financial inclusion challenges. Today, we have a global momentum to combat climate change and to transition to a green economy. This is not easy, but this transition also presents a tremendous opportunity for countries to achieve sustainable economic growth and supervisors have a key role to play to oversee the financial institution's risks and help consumers not become victims of greenwashing due to shoddy climate disclosures. Toronto Centre is collaborating with several global bodies such as IOSCO, which is the International Standard Centre for Securities, the Network for Green Financial Systems, NGFS, encompasses close to 140 central banks from around the world, and the standard setter, international standard setter for insurance supervision, IAIS. We are their implementation partner in climate risk related supervisory capacity building. We know that to achieve net zero and to support climate resilience and food security, we need to adopt a dynamic multi stakeholder approach to problem solving. Financial supervisors are part of the multi stakeholder ecosystem of crisis management and must continue to adapt to evolving risks. Today, our distinguished panelists will discuss the challenge of food security, particularly for the vulnerable and marginalized population in the emerging markets from different angles. They are our very good friend, Thomas Saleh, Superintendent of Insurance of uh, Costa Rica. He's also the Superintendent of Securities. Nadia Gerch, a Senior Regional Director for Latin America, Eastern Europe, and Asia Pacific. Nadia, what else left from MIDA? And Omaneka Oyer, Director of MIDA. We're also tapping our Carl Hiralal, Insurance and Pensions Advisory Board Chair of Toronto Centre to moderate this conversation. I have learned a lot from Carl on this topic over the years. You have re received their bios. Welcome to our speakers. Toronto Centre's mission is sponsored by our key funders, Global Affairs Canada, Swedish CEDA, and the IMF. I'd also like to have a shout out for uh, 
people on my team, Demet Janakche and Jake Dietrich and others who worked so hard to make this uh, uh, webinar a possibility. I'm told we have about 270 registrants from close to 70 countries and with a multiple number of uh, agencies that are collaborating with Toronto Center and would like to learn more. Thank you, Carl. Merci. Carl, over to you. Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Babak, uh, for the relevant background information and for setting the stage for an insightful and rewarding discussion by our panelists today. Our panelists come from two different organizations, but with a wealth of rich and practical experience in their specific fields. They're eminently qualified to address the topic at hand, agriculture and financial system, mm -hmm. adaptation to climate change. And as, as you indicated, this is no small feat. The financial services industry's primary goal is to develop and distribute products and services that are needed in the societies in which they operate. The agriculture sector is no different. There is a protection gap that needs to be filled. As you indicated, MEDA uh, is doing a lot of work on this. They have been in existence for over 70 years, lifting people out of poverty by employing a market systems approach that integrates technical assistance with access to capital, and I would stress access to capital. So in effect, the two organizations that the panelists work for have a common goal or outcome. Climate change knows no boundaries. I hope that at the end of this session, the audience would have a better appreciation of the cascading impact of climate change on food security, financial inclusion, and gender equality. These are important linkages or interdependencies that both the financial sector, represented by Thomas um, and Mida, represented by Nadia and Omo, are trying to bridge to achieve a common goal, which is to address climate change through appropriate mitigation and adaptation measures, and measures that promote sustainability but at the same time are environmentally friendly. That again is not an easy task because environmental factors do uh, present costs to, to our agriculture sector. So with that in mind, I would now like to turn to our first um, panel member to set the stage again for us. Thomas um, Soli is um, a seasoned financial services supervisor, and it's uh, appropriate that he set the stage for climate change because it is one of the biggest issues that uh, financial services supervisors are grappling with at the moment. So Thomas, based on your experience, can you describe the strategies the supervisory authorities are implementing to manage climate change risk in the insurance sector and other sectors in the financial services industry 
as well as the region, because you have significant responsibilities in the region uh, for um, in your role as uh, superintendent in Costa Rica. And perhaps also if you can identify the drivers that are defining the strategic actions and the timing in its implementation. So can I pass over to you? Thank you uh, very much, Carl, for this question. And reading for everybody uh, from uh, Costa Rica, a green, sustainable, no army, uh, longest democracy in Latin America. It's great to, to, to be here with this great panel. And the financial supervisor has a unique position to build a bridge between public policy, such as the decarbonization strategy, adaptation strategy, and national commitments on the matter, uh, the financial sector, and the real economy. In, in case of my country, Costa Rica, we established four key aspects to define the climate action strategy of the financial sector. Create, create a common vision is the first one, establish an internal and external dialogue, define a clear roadmap, and establish expectations through a call to action. Let me elaborate a little more. Uh, create a common vision. This is first objective is key to creating synergies between different stakeholders and enacting action. First of all, keep in mind that public policy is a great umbrella on which the financial regulator strategy must work. And it can also contribute a lot in the construction of said policy. We supervisors do not define policy, but we can help a lot in the process. The second uh, strategy was uh, establish an effective dialogue between financial authorities. A lesson learning in the case of Costa Rica, and I think is, is the same in any country, is the need to create a dialogue at the highest level in order to align common objectives. First, with the banking and insurance supervisors who had been working separately, began working together. We saw the need to take the issue to the highest level. For this reason, and with the help of Toronto Center, by the way, about four years ago, we managed to organize a high-level meeting between the Board of Directors of the Central Bank and the National Financial Supervisor Council and the four superintendents. It was interesting to understand that for the some, for some of the directors, this was the first time they had discussed the role of the financial regulator and the implication of climate change for the financial system. For, from this high-level meeting, it was possible to define sustainable and climate change working group between the four superintendents and the coordination bodies with the central bank. An important effort to build internal capacities begins to address risks related to climate, climate change and align the internal vision from the supervisor. Third, establish an effective dialogue with the market. One of the most important stages is the dialogue with financial entities, knowing what they are doing and transmitting clear expectations to them. In this process, it was interesting to observe how some entities had begun internal work in the same way at the sector level, it is observed how the banking sector defined its green protocol, the insurance sector established a code of responsible conduct, and the national stock exchange also begins uh, your work uh, process on sustainable finance. Understanding the level of maturity of the market is necessary to collaborate in the creation of additional capacity uh, of the different actors. And fourth, uh, define a roadmap. 
In the case of Costa Rica, we established four strategic topics to be worked on data, disclosure, vulnerability analysis, and supervisory practice. And finally, last but not least, declaration of action. In addition, last October, very timely and coinciding with the OECD Regional Summit on Environmental Sustainable celebrated in San Jose, Costa Rica, it's also a historic day for the way climate is treated in our Costa Rican financial system. Our four superintendencies regulating the financial sector, insurance, stock market, financial, institution, and pension were launching a joint declaration commitment to a resilient and transparent financial system in support for a transition to net zero and to resilient against climate risk. In summary, CAR, building a common vision, establishing a dialogue between supervisors and the market, defining a roadmap and making a call to action has allowed us as financial supervisors to move from speech to action. Back to you, Carl. Well, thank you, uh, uh, Thomas. You um, described quite a lot of actions there and some very important actions that are required by supervisors to incorporate climate change in the day-to-day -day activities as a supervisor of financial institutions. I, I particularly note the point you raise about public policy because that is important and supervisors have a role to influence the policy makers um, to take a, a, a creative action there. Um, you also talked about <clears throat> the team effort and all of the sectors involved. And that is important, and I hope this comes out a little more later, because there are significant interdependencies between the different sectors if we're going to fight climate change. And in addition to that, I particularly note the fact that you highlighted environmental and sustainable um, um, pro processes to make sure that this happens well. And uh, with that in mind, uh, starting with the environmental and the sustainable measures, I, you now bring me, that's a good segue uh, to bring in Nadia uh, from uh, MEDA, uh, because one of the things that they focus on is ensuring the measures uh, take into consideration environmental uh, issues. And so MEDA, um, you, uh, sorry, Nadia, you have been um, working in, in many, many different countries. You uh, have over 18 years experience in this business. So you are really bringing, you are really bringing to, bringing to us practical experience uh, with respect to this particular subject. You particularly, uh, as we as financial supervisors deal with uh, financial inclusion, gender equality, and, um, and access to finance, the work that you do are important in this context. So the specific question to you is, um, you have been working in the Philippines among other countries, and I understand this project was born from a need to explore opportunities to increase dignified livelihoods for women and young people <clears throat> in rural areas in the Philippine islands. With this in mind, could you um, identify what are the constraints these excluded communities faced and how is the project addressing their barriers, for example, in the cocoa sector? So could I pass it over to you? Thank you. 
Sure, thank you very much, Carl, and, and thanks for the invitation. Very happy to be part of this conversation. So the, the project specifically that I'm going to talk about is called RISA, and RISA stands for Resilience and Inclusion Through Investment for Sustainable Agriculture. It's a five-year initiative led by MIDA in the Philippines with funding from Global Affairs Canada. And so as I go into the constraint, it is actually helpful to understand a little bit the context where we operate in. So the project is specifically focused on the Mindanao area, which is in the southern part of the Philippines, and so this is a region that is mostly rural, uh, and it's also one of the poorest area in the country. It's also a region that is very well suited uh, for cacao production, uh, which makes it actually a crop that is highly prioritized by the government with a strong market potential, both domestically and internationally. However, despite this potential, the cacao sector in the Philippines is yet fully to contribute to the regional economy. And farmers in particular, in particular small scale producers, involved in, in this production continue to face significant poverty issues and livelihood sustainability. And this is actually, we see, as we see it, a number, to a number of constraints. First of all, the sector, and it's happened in many cacao produ uh, uh, countries, producing countries, the sector is very fragmented. And so most Filipino uh, farms, uh, cacao farms in particular, are very small, uh, ranging often from one to three hectares. And so the farmers involved in cacao production often grapple with low productivity, inadequate equipment, and very limited access to crucial resources, such as like finance, training, and markets. And so in this context, as you've said, women in particular, and women involved in both farming and agribusiness, they face even greater challenges. And I have to say that the Philippines has made some significant progress in terms of reducing the gender gap. Uh, however, women continue to face in this sector significant gender-specific uh, gender barriers, and that includes social acceptability, gender biases, competing priorities between home care and business responsibilities, limited access to networks, and as well as less access to finance, which is actually due to low control of assets and financial resources. Another key constraint that is facing this region in particular is its very high vulnerability to climate change. Uh, and that goes from severe droughts episodes to unpredictable rainfalls, which has a direct impact on agriculture production. And cacao in particular in this case is very vulnerable to climate change impact. So there is really a crucial need here to build more climate resilience in the sector, because this has really a direct impact on the ability of farmers, but also other market actors to sustain income generation out of cacao. So now through this reset project, how does that mean this respond to those challenges? So we have developed and we implement an integrated approach that precisely intersects economic development, environmental sustainability, and gender equality. That's in fact what we call it, the triple impact approach, which is core to our technical framework. And so how does that work in practice? So on the economic side, the project uh, will combine business development services, access to capital and resources, and will facilitate market linkages and connection within the sector, and especially between the buyers, the suppliers, and other market actors. And that will generate more profitable and commercially oriented relationship that will result in more profit for both farmers and agribusinesses. Uh, in the same line, MIDA also intend to leverage local investment funds as well as financial institutions to unlock capital which is available in the market to be invested in SMEs and other cacao market actors. 
On the other side, recognizing the barriers that women in particular face in, the, in agriculture and, and in this sector in particular, to, the project will also focus on mainstreaming gender equality and what we call ESG, environmental, social, and governance considerations within the business operations at the agribusiness level, but also at the farm at the household level. And it does so by incentivizing changes in practices and in power dynamics. And then uh, additionally, also given the extreme vulnerability of, of cacao to climate change, the project also involves targeted technical assistance focused specifically on climate resilience. And so this technical assistance will involve capacity strengthening and access to resources and equipment that enable farmers to adopt climate smart practices, enhance their adaptive capacity, and then ensure also a more diversified and sustainable production. And then finally, I would say this is important to the discussions that we're having today, and also an important part of, of, this, of this project is forward generating a learning and strategic partnership uh, precisely between key industry players and involving you know, private sector, but also government players, uh, government institutions to support a more conducive regulatory environment and support mechanism that will result really in a more climate resilient and inclusive uh, sector growth. And maybe I can get into more details later on. Back to you, Carl. Okay, thank you. Um, you raise a, num a number of important issues there. And certainly you highlight the fact there's a number of small farmers and um, many of whom are women, but they also, because they're small farmers, um, basically because of lack of capital, they have low productivity, they probably don't have very good equipment. And so uh, access to finance is important uh, for the success of these kinds of projects. So I hope that later on we can uh, chat about that and maybe Thomas can pick it up later on. So that's a very important segue for us in trying to identify from a practical perspective the problems uh, smallholder farmers face. So thank you for that. Um, Monica, um, I'm going to move over to you. You also have a fair amount of experience and expertise uh, um, on the ground. Um, both you and Nadia is really where the rubber hits the road. You, you, you do spend a lot of uh, emphasis in your work on digital financial services, uh, women and youth, and access to finance. So all of these are important uh, to addressing the impact of climate change. So more specifically, the question to you is, MEDA has a long history of innovation and entrepreneurship in the agri-sector. So can you tell us about recently uh, a recently approved Honduras project, at, or at least starting with the Honduras project? And in that context, as you frame your answer, what are some of the key features of this new project in Honduras, and why was it important to incorporate these elements? So can I pass over to you? Thank you. Thank you, Carl, and uh, good morning, good afternoon to to the to the audience. Thank you for for having me today. Um, so as you as has been mentioned previously, Mida um, has a 70 year history working in agri food systems in um, Asia Pacific, East, um, East and Central Africa and West Africa, as well as um, Central America. And um, this particular project that I'm going to be talking about, which is called Opportunities for Circular and Inclusive Diversification of Agriculture. I know it's a handful. Um, we shortened it to OSIDA. Um, this particular project in Honduras uh, is funded by the Global Affairs Canada. 
and will be a five-year project starting this year and ending uh, in 2029, focusing on a number of areas that um, we believe to be innovative and drawing on our Amida's many years of experience working at the, uh, the cross-section of economic development, environmental sustainability, and gender equality. So one of the, the first element that the first innovative element that we're going to be introducing into this project has to do with a circular economy. So uh, by that, I mean a model, an economic model whereby we are making the most use of the resources that we have, such as water, such as land, uh, the byproducts of uh, the of the uh, crops that will be grown, in this case, coffee and cocoa. Um, and we're ensuring that there's minimal waste. So we are repurposing, recycling, reusing as much as possible um, in this particular project. So that's gonna be a key focus of this project. Whereas before, uh, many of the um, uh, uh, sort of projects that we run follow a very traditional linear model, um, you know, as, as does the rest of the world, where there's a lot of waste at the end, a lot of byproducts that are not used at the end of the process. So we're really going to be pushing for, um, pushing the envelope when it comes to environmental sustainability on that front. The second um, area uh, of innovation is going to be around digital solutions. So this is, these are digital solutions that address um, climate um, uh, considerations um, that also address issues around education, so financial, digital financial literacy solutions, but also digital finance solutions. So a big part of the, uh, the project is ensuring that we're able to uh, um, provide support in terms of access to finance for the women and the youth that we'll be targeting. And so we will be looking at how can we leverage digital solutions to do that, not just to advance the financing and make payments, but also in terms of the data that is collected. So um, that data can help us, um, can help financial institutions make better credit decisions. It can de-risk a lot of the financial um, uh, solutions or financial products that are being provided by, by different uh, providers. Um, but again, there's an element of how that data is collected and how that data is used that, the, that we'll, we'll, we will also be working with to ensure that you know, there's privacy and it's, there's no abuse and that that data is, is properly, properly used. So that's the second element is around digital uh, digital solutions. The third is around partnerships. And I think this has been a big lesson for us in terms of um, media's history, is that when we're talking about agri-food systems, uh, we are obviously taking a systemic approach. We're not addressing just one issue. And so we need partners in order to be able to have um, a significant impact. And so we will be working very closely with partners on the ground. Um, Lutheran World Relief is one, Fundacion Capital is another, uh, but we'll also be looking to build partnerships with digital um, solutions providers, with um, uh, providers of climate resilient technologies, uh, with um, uh, organizations that uh, are really mainstreaming, know how to mainstream gender into um, economic development. And so that's really um, another aspect that we'll be focusing on through this project. So just, just in conclusion, um, the three innovative elements are around a circular economy approach, 
um, leveraging digital solutions, not just for distribution, but also to enable us to collect data and leverage that data to inform financial decision making at banks or microfinance institutions. And the third is around partnerships, so really um, partnering with institutions on the ground so that uh, we have um, much, um, uh, much more effective um, impact. Thank you. Thank you. That's a, a very in, involved uh, answer, but obviously it's a very difficult task that you have on hand. But you did uh, highlight uh, some very important issues um, which are common to anyone who are looking at, at addressing climate change. And the point you raise about the digital solutions and, and partnerships are important. The many, as Babak indicated, is a multi-stakeholder approach to address this. And I'm glad that you are seeing that that is an important part of the work that you're doing. And again, you highlighted sustainability and environmental concerns. So these are, are important um, that I hope we will uh, address a bit more in detail later on. So Thomas, um, you've heard um, from the, the people in the field, the practitioners who are what I refer to as boots on the ground in trying to address climate change from a very practical perspective. Um, obviously, the financial services industry, as I indicated, have an obligation to develop and uh, deliver products that are needed in the societies where they operate. And uh, based on Nadia's and Amanika's um, discussions, I'm sure you, you appreciate that. Um, so in that context, um, Concerns are further um, exacerbated by climate change, which arguably is one of the biggest threats to food security. So I want to change the discussion now and focus it on food security. Can you tell us what Suhesi has been doing or Costa Rica has been doing to develop uh, capacity of its supervisors and uh, also in the context of food security? Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Um... Great question because it's one of the main concerns of, for any regulator how to to align the vision <laughs> inside the, the the supervisory body. Uh, from my personal point of view, uh, to create a vision, it's necessary to start by aligning internal expectations. Uh, at the beginning, for many colleagues in the superintendencies, this issue was not relevant. Uh, at most, uh, it was seen as a trend, uh, perhaps little related to our supervisory tasks. Uh, building internal cap cap capabilities uh, to understand climate-related risk, physical transition and reputational one, uh, and their impact on financial stability is critical. Uh, in the early stage, uh, there was a lot of emphasis on leveling knowledge and creating awareness. Uh, secondly, mature knowledge to understand that the strategy to confront climate-related risk could not be through uh, of in isolation from the risk-based supervision framework that had been built. Uh, Climate-related risks uh, must be identified, evaluated, and managed in the same way as the other risks that financial institutions are called upon to address. Uh, for this uh, reason, uh, once the capa cap capabilities have been created, the metrics and an analysis scenarios have been defined, addressing supervisory practice is necessary. 
the roadmap considers uh, in its lines of work uh, data, as, as uh, my colleagues uh, said uh, before, uh, developing of technical and data analysis capability to develop climate risk assessment. It involves important coordination with different government entities and the private sector, of course. Uh, disclosure, uh, I, I must mention that uh, two weeks ago, we started the work of, of the technical, te technical uh, group for the definition of a green taxonomy for the financial sector in Costa Rica. It is a joint work of, of the four superintendencies uh, in coordination with the environmental ministry. Uh, the process will involve the creation of internal and external capabilities for development and correct use and maintenance of this important tool. Uh, the taxonomy, as you know, will allow us to introduce a climate-related disclosure regime for the financial sector uh, in, in different ways. Uh, third, in the, world, uh, in the other hand, uh, for vulnerability analysis, uh, the roadmap also establishes uh, the need to identify exposure to climate risk and carry out vulnerability exercise and stress tests. Uh, development uh, of capabilities uh, in this uh, regard, uh, uh, as this uh, stream is identified also in the in this roadmap, and for a uh, supervision and regulation practices. At the la later stage, uh, the adjustment in risk management regulations and investment policies must be considered, as well as the approach uh, to this issue from supervisory practice and the evaluation of the supervisory entities. In this process, Exploring the role of superintendencies in promoting and evaluating transition plans for the financial sector to a net zero economy will not be absent. But that is not uh, all, uh, Carl. Uh, to be su successful in this roadmap, and I strongly support uh, the words uh, from, from Nadia and Omoneka, uh, it is necessary to insist on other aspects that might be considered to enhance the impact of climate action on financial system, such as financial education, digitalization and innovation, and financial inclusion, uh, gender gap, uh, protection gap, uh, and other issues that are uh, involved. Uh, these subjects make up uh, another ring of work in the creation in the in the in, in the in the supervision creation supervisory capacities, as well as in the analysis of supervisory practice. The effects in the reducing the vulnerability of the of the most uh, uh, vulnerable people uh, like agriculture will be not uh, a minor issue. Uh, if, if you permit me, uh, if you allow me, uh, uh, I, I have a, a little uh, a little example in Costa Rica. Uh, we launched uh, our uh, central banks a payment system, electronic payment system, uh, some years ago, 30 years ago, actually, but with the pandemic, it was very, uh, an important tool for, for everybody, uh, for, for in especial for, for the small and micro uh, businesses, uh, enterprises. Uh, and and I, I, I want to, to, to share an, an personal experience. I, I, I went to a national, national park beside the, in the coast uh, some some months ago and when we left the the, the natural park uh, very in a very warm uh, very hot uh, warm a uh, very warm uh, weather uh, with a lot of thirsty we uh, met 
uh, a little enterprises selling uh, coconuts, <laughs> water coconuts, and they receive uh, the payment by Simpe, that is the Simpe model, that is the, 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 the tool from Central Bank that is free of use uh, uh, in order to, to, to get the money uh, in these sales. Um, and the, the, the guy who was selling the, the coconut told me what important was this uh, uh, tool for them because they were uh, creating a history in the bank uh, with the different uh, incomes in the, in the banking account. So the banking account give them a big uh, tool uh, to, 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 to have a, a better life, of course, but uh, in the process, they are building an history, a banking history that will uh, maybe in the future uh, enable them to, to get a loan, to get an insurance, and to, to be uh, uh, in the system, in the formal system, and, and get uh, take advantage of, of that, uh, that, that, that reality. So uh, this is a, a, a one of the issues that we, we are working on uh, on the capacity buildings and, and they are more than climate change. There are other issues that we must take a, 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 a advantage on. Hey, back to you, uh, Carl. Uh, thank you. Okay, thank you. There's quite a lot there, um, but I'll move on in the interest of time. Um, Nadia, I'd like to move to you um, again because you bring uh, along with your colleague um, the individual actual con country experiences. So the question is, how are new environmental regulations affecting the various stakeholders in the cocoa sector in the Philippines and perhaps elsewhere if you, if you uh, care? And also, are banks and investors adapting their practices how are these different stakeholders making the transition to more sustainable practices in agriculture? So the two operative words in those sentences has to deal with environmental regulations and sustainable practices. So can I pass over to you? Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Carl, for the question. So there is a, there's a number of regulations that have been laid out recently with impact on the sector. So first of all, at the global level, um, I can think of the European Union new law on deforestation-free products, which I think was passed in June 2023, has a potentially significant impact on cacao-producing regions such as the Philippines. Uh, however, in such a fragmented agriculture system, this may actually place, place an additional burden on smallholder farmers, particularly uh, in the sense that really obtaining new certification, introducing new monitoring and compliance mechanism all of this will drive up the cost with no guarantee necessarily of being able to secure a higher price on the other end. There's also a number of opportunities related to this, which I will um, maybe elaborate a bit on later on. At the country level as well in the Philippines, uh, a number of also regulations have been enacted recently to address climate change and adaptations. And just to name a few, uh, the government of the Philippines, for example, has laid out a strict code of practice for growing cacao and this code aims specifically to provide general guidelines, technical advices, and food safety and quality for productions, among other things, post-harvest uh, and processing of cacao, and all in line with better natural resource management. Uh, another example is the Department of Agriculture of the Philippines supporting the establishment of adaptation and mitigation initiative in, in agriculture, called AMIA, to support specifically environmentally sustainable livelihoods that can effectively manage climate risk. 
There's also another examples with the uh, national policy that has been enacted in the Philippines, establishing a framework strategy and a program on climate change and the creation even of a climate change commission. So this is all, you know, very important regulations uh, that have been passed and enacted. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is that these have not necessarily translated into increased access to finance for small scale producers and including cacao farmers. And so our assessment shows that you know, in this case, agriculture continues to be viewed as a high risk by formal institutions such as banks. In fact, even in the Philippines, there is a reform called the Agri-Agra Law that mandates all government and private banking institutions to allocate at least 25% of the total loanable funds for agriculture. However, in practice, what we're seeing is that this is not fully working and banks tend to prefer at the end to pay penalties instead of lending to agriculture producers. Uh, because of their high prof uh, risk profile. And there's a number of reasons that influence the high risk uh, profile of farmers that includes lack of information on credit worthiness, uh, high transaction costs versus small ticket sizes, natural hazards, among other things. And all of this results in these financial institutions that uh, being hesitant to extend credits until platforms such as insurance, support networks, or other risk sharing mechanisms are in place. And so uh, we also think that, you know, a lot of this um, um, industry policy and even sometimes government policies, regulations and standards, uh, even though they tend to support cooperatives and SMEs, they're often considered as gender blind. Uh, and very only few in in interventions or policy targets effectively women use or other, uh, you know, traditionally marginalized populations such as indigenous people and their capacity to contribute to and to equally benefit from cacao sector growth. And so all of this results in that the majority of small scale producers and so cacao producers in this case, as well as rural SMEs invested in, involved in, 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 in the cacao sector ended up raising their own financing through informal and alternative sources. So I'll just say that at the end, you know, access to finance, but also along the right support mechanism in place and the right partnership continue to be a major constraint that is facing the scalability of adaptive measures in the agriculture sector. However, there are also a number of innovation, and I wanna highlight this, that are being tested and implemented, and some of which are being you know, also implemented as part of this project uh, that I think is worth mentioning, which perhaps I can, I can talk about a little later. Okay, Back thank you. Far. Thank you, there's quite a lot there. Um, well, Monica, um, I move over to you again for um, individual country experiences, and I'm looking at the time here. Could you, um, this particular question, how is MEDA addressing the financial constraints faced in the cocoa or coffee sectors, particularly by producers? And um, more importantly, are there new environmental and, uh, regulations affecting the financial markets in Honduras and elsewhere? And are banks and investors adapting their practices? Again, a loaded question, but some something that's very important. In Thank you, Carl. I will try and address it in, in, in a few minutes. I know we're running out of time. Um, I think the picture in Honduras, unfortunately, uh, unlike many country, uh, many other countries, um, is showing a decline in actual um, access to finance, both in urban areas and in rural areas. So for instance, 
um, the World Bank's Global Findex places uh, financial inclusion in Honduras in 2017 at about 47% of the adult population. Uh, in 2021, it was uh, 37%. So there was an actual decline. Um, and you see that decline uh, at all levels, uh, women, rural areas, and so on. Another aspect that is quite surprising is that, um, you know, the pandemic ushered in um, the a digital revolution in many countries. So for the first time, people were forced because they were in lockdown or couldn't move around or because of social distancing, people were forced to use digital solutions. Unfortunately, in Honduras, we are not seeing that exponential growth. Um, so the, the, the number, the percentage of adults that have made or received a digital payment uh, between 2017 and 2021 uh, sits at about 7%, 7 or 8%. So we're really talking about an environment where access to finance is a significant challenge. And in the coffee and cocoa sectors, um, uh, even more so because the areas that we're talking about are particularly susceptible to climate change, uh, particularly drought. So they're called the, it's called the dry, dry corridor of, of Honduras. Uh, six departments that experience long periods of droughts followed by heavy periods of rain driven by the El Nino cycle. And so, uh, you know, that introduces another element of, of risk that um, would make it very difficult for financial services providers um, to, to address uh, access to finance uh, constraints there, which is why we, we are introducing the digital solutions as a means of providing information that can help de-risk and also putting in some of our own capital as a demonstration effect in those areas. In terms of regulations, um, I wouldn't say for this particular country that there are new regulations. There are existing regulations that um, just need to be uh, more effectively implemented. So for instance, there is a national water law um, that is not currently um, full, being fully uh, implemented, especially in the areas that we're talking about, where water resource management is going to be the key constraint, is going to be the main um, factor in terms of our cir circular uh, economic model. So, you know, how can we work with financial providers to help build their capacity, as Thomas said, in understanding water resource management, understanding the issues in the dry corridor and what technologies they can um, finance to enable small scale producers in those areas to meet their production goals and therefore their income and job creation goals. At the international level, Nadia has mentioned the EU's law on uh, deforestation free products, coffee and cocoa fall within those categories. So this is both a constraint and an opportunity. We need to find a way to uh, position Honduras small-scale producers and integrate them into the global cocoa and coffee um, uh, coffee market. But to do so, they need to show that their products are deforestation-free. So how do we, again, use digital solutions to help bridge that gap and to uh, provide financing, financing that helps them meet the additional costs of production that meeting this new standard this new sustainability standards will require. So it's it's a gap, it's a constraint, but I also we also see it as an opportunity that we can leverage uh, digital solutions to to bridge. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you. A lot of issues, a lot of interests, and there's a, um, a, a fair amount of questions in the in the the Q and A. Um, 
let me take a question from the Q&A and I will direct it at you, uh, Nadia. Um, the question is, um, what innovations and solutions such as carbon credits are local stakeholders testing to address adaptation challenges and environmental regulatory concerns? So can I pass that over to you? I'm glad somebody raised that on carbon credits. Thank you. Sure, and, and it's a very, very exciting question. Certainly, and, and something I'm very excited uh, about. So, yes, in fact, I'm going to talk specifically about this innovation, which we're currently implementing through that reset project in the Philippines. So, it's 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 basically an initiative that is developed by Mida and in partnership with a carbon trading company called Kinico, which is a subsidiary of a large cacao trading company, Kinemer for International. And the focus of this initiative is to leverage carbon trading as an innovative approach to incentivize cacao producers to adopt sustainable agriculture and resource management practices and ultimately contributing obviously to the mitigation of climate change impact. So the carbon trading initiative in, in this in this partnership is in, is in partnership with a, with a cooperative which is involved in the recent project. And ultimately the payment scheme is defined by both the trading company and these cooperatives, and it's essentially to support the livelihood of cacao farmers. And so just you know, quickly, the rationale really that it's behind this approach lies really in the significant economic and environmental benefits that is offered by three crops such as cacao. So it can easily apply also to other similar crops. And so the idea is that by encouraging small producers to cultivate cacao under three canopies, a continuous cash income can be generated from first harvesting. And this practice is precisely what helps prevent the burning of forest areas and the destructions of biodiversity habitat, which provides an immediate solution for carbon sequestration. And in this way, carbon sequestration can become an additional source of income for farmers completing, uh, complementing their existing crops. So for now, we're excited. We've, we've launched this, this, this partnership for one, one cooperative, and the idea is to expand in the next few months to much more uh, uh, small-scale producers and, and and farming areas in in the region. Okay, well, thank you. That that is very encouraging. Uh, perhaps, um, Thomas, I'll I'll move to you on one of the questions in the Q and A, and then perhaps any other uh, panelists uh, could uh, respond. Um, the question is: How is increasing environmental regulation, and also the new requirement for climate risk reporting? affecting the work of local producers and value chains and also financial service providers? What are the risks of unintended consequences such as in, in exclusion? You want to touch on that? Yeah, yeah. thank you, Carl. It's, it's a great question, <laughs> really indeed. Uh, and for our regulators, uh, this is always, uh, we must, Keep in mind uh, this balance uh, between uh, what we are regulating and what will be the 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 secondary effects of the regulation and and avoid this uh, uh, exclusion is is one of the issues that we uh, must take uh, uh, in consideration when we are uh, uh, defining uh, regulations. And at this moment uh, in Costa Rica, we have now. Uh, a lot of regulation because uh, uh, we're just beginning. I think uh, with the taxonomy, it will uh, permit us, uh, allow us to uh, uh, give a, a more bold vision in order to what is important to to to, to regulate and how to uh, uh, 
make more easy the disclosure. Uh, the taxonomy will uh, uh, identify uh, how uh, the, the channel change uh, of the financial system is uh, is affecting the the, the 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 real economy. And by the way, uh, right now uh, we have uh, the. Uh, code of conduct, uh, responsible conduct uh, for insurance sector, and we have uh, the green protocol uh, for banking sector. And the exercise that they made is how the the the, the value change uh, is affected uh, when we are they are putting money in one sector or, or they are selling uh, insurance on their. Uh, uh, Buying services from 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 any any providers, and and the, the, that that will make a, a real effect in the real economy through the financial system, and they must be measure uh, what 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 will be this uh, more the, the better way to 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 incentivize uh, give incentives uh, correct uh, signals to the real sector when. Who, who were loaning money and who, who were are uh, 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 having a contract uh, of services uh, like uh, I don't know automobile automobile uh, uh, tires etc. Uh, so uh, there is no uh, and, and regulation right now in Costa Rica, but uh, we know that the responsible enterprise conducts code of conducts that the the, 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 the companies and the regulation entities are putting on practice will affect this channel value chains of course but that is not a regulation issue okay well thank you for that um so those are very um, difficult uh, questions uh, to address. Um, everybody is grappling with that. But uh, uh, Nadia, I have a, a quick question here that I'll pass to you, and then I'll go back. Perhaps we have time for one last question, and I'll go back to Omanika. The, the question to you, Nadia, is what is the best model to use for financially assisting farmers in fragmented agricultural geographical areas? That's one of the questions in the Q&A. You think you can take a shot at that? I think I, I can try, certainly. I think it's a really good question. You know, I think in general, and I saw another question that maybe will address the other one as well in terms of, um, you know, financial globally. I think really in, in general, moving to a more sustainable agriculture, we require building adaptive capacity. And that will happen through investment in resilient infrastructure, supportive mechanism, including social safety nets. I think uh, Thomas has talked to some of this and a greater alignment between regulatory measures. And I think this is really critical that alignment between regulatory measures, national policy approaches and support mechanisms that facilitate the effective implementation of these measures. And I think it should address maybe more directly these questions. That includes also instruments such as blended finance, which really has the potential to bridge the funding gaps and catalyze private sector investment in sustainability initiatives. And really in bringing in this de-risking through blended finance, we'll introduce new investors you know, in the sector and demonstrate commercial viability of investment. So blended finance can be eventually phased over time. But that will require uh, really a multi-stakeholder approach 
and partnership approach between financial sector, the food and agriculture industry, donors and investors, as well as non-government players such as NGO, and you know the tech sectors where we see more and more innovations also coming in terms of you know facilitating access to finance and also uh, to number you know of technology and practices that will ultimately enable scale you know the sustainable uh, uh, practices in the sector. So that would be sort of my try. I'm sure Omo may, may have some addition to this. Okay, um, Omanika, um, if you can just um, yeah. Uh, what Nadia said, but also uh, another question direct, uh, directed to you while you have the floor. Sure. The question is, microfinance institutions frequently face criticism for a potentially trapping rural individuals in a cycle of debt. Mm -hmm. Are you mm -hmm. familiar with that? Despite the expansion of these institutions, the economic circumstances of the targeted population often show little or no improvement. My question is, in what ways do microfinance institutions contribute to enhancing the income of poor people? A loaded question, but I'm sure you're familiar with that challenge. Can I pass it over to you? Sure. Yes, a very loaded question indeed. I think, first of all, um, I would say that uh, not every microfinance institution, and I think a, a lot of microfinance institutions probably will not fall in this category. There have been um, instances where um, a debt, you know, we, we've seen this examples of debt trap, for instance, in India, there was a, a microfinance crisis a few years back. Um, you know, I, I think that for the most part, the microfinance institutions that we work with um, are very much, um, have, a, have a very strong social mission. And also we partner with them to help build their capabilities again in terms of understanding gender um, considerations and environmental considerations. So they're not going into this blind, making assumptions about what is or what is not there. Um, and then you know, lending to people who, are, who don't have the capacity to repay. So there, there's really that um, sort of handholding accompaniment that must go alongside uh, any financial services um, partner that we're going into, whether it's a microfinance institution, an insurance provider, a large bank, a digital financial services provider. There's a lot of work and handholding that comes into play to ensure that um, you know, we're not building on, on top of the wrong assumptions. We really understand the context that we're going into, really understand the segment that we're working with, and um, we really um, try as much as possible to um, in, incorporate those considerations and the design of the solutions that are eventually distributed. So, um, you know, I... I, I I think that um, I'm not I'm not necessarily addressing this person's question directly. Um, my my answer is that I, I wouldn't put all microfinance institutions in the same under the same umbrella. Uh, just like you have banks that are not um, working in the best interests of their clients, you have microfinance institutions also that fall in that category. But for the most part, the institutions that we've worked with have been aligned with our vision and our mission. And we've seen some success in terms of the economic development of the um, of the borrowers that they've worked with, but also their uh, social, um, the social improvement and also the use of environmental technology. So those have some been the benefits that we've seen in our in our partnerships. Okay, that's very encouraging. Um, Thomas, I'll give you the last word here and picking up on the, uh, what Omanika just talked about. Um, 
filling a protection gap, we only have about a minute left. Filling a protection gap is important and uh, parametric insurance is one of the ways to deal with it. And um, microfinance institutions can use parametric insurance to de-risk loans. Are you seeing uh, activity in, in that area in your region or in Costa Rica? For sure, Carl. Uh, uh, we launched in Asalde as a Latin American Association of Supervisors, Insurance Supervisors, uh, a working group on climate change and, and related risks and sustainability. And one of the big issues that we are working on is a protection gap. Um, uh, this uh, this working work group uh, helped up to, to, to the, the, the whole association uh, in order to create, um, uh, to, to, to launch a, a, a call to action last uh, May. And every country, most of them in the in the region, are working on that uh, issue. Uh, the the real thing is, uh, and again, uh, we do not make a public choice. We don't make a public policies, uh, but we can help a lot uh, the governments uh, to 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 build up uh, this kind of of, of 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 policies. Some countries are working, and Costa Rica is one of them. Uh, on 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 the creating the 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 financial strategy to 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 build uh, to 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 rebuild the the economy uh, uh, after an a, a great event or natural uh, catastrophe, and uh, one of the issues is how to uh, uh, rebuild the the critical infrastructure because uh, if the government could not uh, rebuild the critical infrastructure. Uh, the protection gap uh, will be uh, very, very weak. Uh, what, what, what I, I, I mean, and, and, and maybe calling the, the, the example of, of the hurricane Mitch in Central America, especially in Honduras, uh, some decades ago, uh, is a good is a good example. Uh, the, the the country could not rebuild the critical infrastructure, so those companies that have uh, insurance take the money and go away. Uh, uh, because they they recover the, the the money, but but the the, the economy as a whole couldn't uh, uh, begin in the, the the recovery. So uh, this is a big issue uh, in 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 the ASAL. We are working on uh, this this kind of discussions, and it's a big issue in IIAS also in the International Association of Insurance Supervisors and uh, our new. Uh, uh, Chair of uh, of IIIS have this uh, very clear climate change and protection gap are one uh, two of the most important goals uh, in, in this in this uh, new period for for the insurance uh, uh, communities. Uh, okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. We're running out of time here. Uh, Omonika, I see your hand up. You have a ten second comment you want to make? No, no, no. I think let's let's close. Um, okay. I just, yeah, I think let's go. All right. Well, well, thank you very much. Um, there's a lot of issues, a lot of comments, and a lot of questions, but um, a lot of very important points were raised. Um, we talked about um, the importance of environment, doing these things in a manner which is in, uh, sustainable, but also taking into consideration environmental considerations. We, we talked a lot about teamwork, and, um, and in addition to that, uh, Omanika, you also highlighted the need for uh, education and education of digitization, and I think that is important. 
You talked about partnerships and, and teamwork and all of those things are important. And what is coming across here is that um, this is a, um, a multi-stakeholder solution. This is not one organization, what one department uh, that can solve this. And I, I, I hope that message comes across because there are many parties uh, who, who have to uh, come to bear uh, some of the burdens in solving these problems. At the end of the day, uh, gender uh, equality and financial in inclusion in my mind, took a retrograde step uh, during COVID, and hopefully some of the measures that you guys described today can erase some of those um, the retrograde steps that was taken and take us forward. So I thank uh, everyone uh, in the audience for the questions. I thank the participants uh, uh, for, again for the questions, and I I, I, th I thank the panelists and uh, certainly the people of the Toronto Centre who put this together. So thank you very much. Um, any last words, anybody else uh, from the Toronto Centre? I think we- Nothing did. from us, thank you, Carl. Okay, so thank you very much and uh, have a good evening. Good morning, everyone.